0: <laughs> and laughs Theater of the Mind The best love programs from radio's golden age Only on Zoomer Radio Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor
1: Well, thank you, and welcome to the show We begin with another tale from the program, Suspense another show designed to get the hair on the back of your neck to stand up and your heart to race as we hear another scary tale. This one's entitled A Friend to Alexander. Suspense.
2: This is The Man in Black, here again to introduce Columbia's program, Suspense. Tonight, from Hollywood, we bring you two of America's most artful and distinguished stars. From the metro goldwyn mayer lot Studios comes Mr. Robert Young, and from Warner Brothers, Miss Geraldine Fitzgerald. Mr. Young and Miss Fitzgerald are with us to play in An Unusual Tale by the Unusual James Thurber. An excerpt from the book, My World and Welcome to It, called... A friend to Alexander, adapted for radio by Freya Howard, is tonight's study in Suspense. And of Geraldine Fitzgerald, as his wife, Bess, who relates these events to us, we again hope to keep you in... Suspense.
3: a laughing, happy-go-lucky fellow before he began to have those dreams. I guess he was pretty much like dozens of other men who go to work every morning, settle down in soft chairs with their newspapers after dinner, and like a weekend in the country now and then. He was fond of easy living and good times. Like everyone else, he talked of the war, rationing tires, and his golf scores. Until, (laughs) until those nightmares began to plague him. At first, I was amused.
4: You know, I've been dreaming about Aaron Burr every night. What for? Well, how do I know what for? (laughs)
3: Aaron Burr is a funny person to be dreaming about nowadays. Why? I mean, with all the countries in the world at war with each other.
4: What's so funny about dreaming?
3: Maybe you're upset.
4: Well, everybody dreams, don't they?
3: Uh, I don't see why you'd see Aaron Burr in your dreams. Well, I do. Where do you see him?
4: Oh, places. In Washington Square or Bowling Green or on Broadway.
3: Even here on 55th Street?
4: Mostly downtown. I'll be talking to a woman in the Victoria, a Victoria. woman holding a white lace parasol. Oh. And suddenly there will be Aaron Burr. Bowing and smiling and smelling like a carnation. Telling his stories about France and getting off his insults.
3: Who is the woman in the Victoria? Hmm? What? The woman. Who is she?
4: Well, how do I know you know about people in dreams, don't you? They're nobody at all. Or everybody.
3: Ah, but you see Aaron Burr plainly enough, though. I mean, he isn't anybody or nobody. Or everybody.
4: All right, all right. You have me there, but I, I don't know who the woman is.
3: Are you sure?
4: What's more, I don't care. Maybe it's Madame Jumel or Mittens Willet or a girl I knew in high school.
3: Who's Mittens Willet?
4: She was a famous New York actress in her day 50 years ago or so. She's buried in an old cemetery on 2nd Avenue. I've seen the tombstone.
3: That's very sad. Why is it? Oh, I mean, she she probably died young. Almost all women did in those days.
4: He's a vile, cynical cad. I was standing and talking to Alexander Hamilton when Burr stepped up and slapped him in the face. When I looked at Hamilton, who do you suppose it was?
3: (laughs) I don't know. Who? My
4: brother, Walter. One I told you about. The one who was killed by that drunk in the cemetery.
3: Harry, I never could get that story straight. I've told
4: you about it a dozen times. This drunk came up to him when his back was turned and...
3: What was he doing in the
4: cemetery? That's not the point. He was killed. That's what's important. And I loved him very much.
3: I don't understand what... What's the
4: use of telling you every time I mention it? You start asking the same questions.
3: I understand now, dear. When you looked at Hamilton, he was your brother, Walter. Yes. Harry, maybe... Maybe we ought to go to the country for more weekends.
4: Weekends? Yes. I'm going to bed.
3: For a time that evening, I worried about Harry. Not about his dream. Why shouldn't he dream? But I wondered about his health. He looked so... so worried somehow. So unlike himself. I was glad when he went to bed... A good night's sleep was just what he needed. I thought. How could I know? The next morning, we were quietly eating our grapefruit when Harry flung down his spoon.
4: I wish he'd go back to France and stay there. Him and his lala.
3: Who oh dear? Oh, you mean Aaron Burr? Did you dream about him again?
4: Yes, he said lala to me.
3: Why should he say lala?
4: I was at the tavern. We were drinking ale, and I said something funny. I don't remember what it was. Something amusing about what uh, Ben Franklin had said to Washington once one of those things, you know.
3: No, I don't. Have some... Have some more coffee,
4: dear. I don't want any coffee. I made this remark and everyone laughed. Everyone but Burr, that is. He sort of... sniffed. And then he said, La La.
3: Well, why not? I mean, is there anything wrong about him saying La La?
4: It was the way he said it. He was sneering at me. They all noticed it.
3: Who, oh, dear? Who noticed
4: The it? others, all of them. And Hamilton. I was there with Hamilton. It was swell until Burr came in. Aaron Burr.
3: I don't see why you dream about him all the time. Don't you think you should take some luminol?
4: I'm not sick, I tell you. I know what I'm dreaming.
3: I just thought, well, it's always Burr, and that seems odd. Well,
4: why? Why shouldn't I dream about Burr if I want to?
3: But you don't want
4: to. No, but I can't help it. Everywhere I go with Alexander, sooner or later Burr shows up. Makes those nasty remarks. Last night, he elbowed Alexander out of his way. Did it
3: deliberately. Alexander? Hamilton. Oh, Alexander Hamilton.
4: Yes, goodness knows I'm familiar enough with him by this time to call him by his first name.
3: Uh, Harry, you know, we might go to the Old Rovers Inn this weekend. You like it there.
4: Hamilton has become not only my brother, Walter, but practically every other guy I've ever liked.
3: Don't you like the Old Rovers Inn anymore?
4: Isn't it natural that Hamilton should represent my brother and guys I like? That's natural, isn't it? Yes. I suppose it is. Well, then why are you looking at me like that?
3: You know, dear, I, I wish you'd go and see Dr. Fox.
4: I don't want to see Dr. Fox. I want Aaron Burr to stop sneering at me in my clothes. He looks at me and his lips curl up and he says, law, Mr. Andrews, what odd taste you have. Mm.
3: I wish you'd go and see Dr. Fox.
4: I'm going to the zoo and feed popcorn to the rhinoceros. That makes things seem right, for a little while anyway.
3: I thought he'd forgotten all about that ancient pistol duel. Because for two days after that, he lost his haggard, tired look and actually seemed cheerful. But one night, about five in the morning, he came into my room in pajamas and bare feet. His hair disheveled and his eyes wild. He got him. He got him. The rotter got him.
4: Alexander fired in the air and smiled at him. Just like Walter must have smiled.
3: Like Walter? Oh, yes, dear. Your brother,
4: Walter, who was killed in the cemetery. It was at Weehawken in New Jersey. What? Your brother? No, Hamilton and Burr. The jewel. Hamilton had a white ruff around his neck. Burr was in black tights. French clothes. Alexander lifted his pistol and fired in the air and then smiled at Burr. And then that fiend from hell took deliberate aim. He took so long. He meant to take his time about it. I saw him grin. And then he pointed his pistol at Alexander and fired. He killed him in cold blood, the foul scum. Oh,
3: <laughs> darling. Don't, darling. Here. Here, dear. Take some of these pills. I don't want them. Oh, take it. You'll feel good. I don't
4: want any, I tell you.
3: Here, darling. Swallow. Please, swallow. All right. There. That's better. The
4: cad. The rotten, sneaking cad. He grinned just as he fired. And Alexander clutched himself at the stomach. And shook his head and uh, tried to walk forward. Then he fell. With his mouth open as though he wanted to say something. And Burr stood there. Grinning.
3: He was better after that But I kept urging him to see Dr. Fox At first he refused But later he decided to humor me <laughs> He was humoring me by this time And Dr. Fox too
4: How have been feeling, Doc
5: Oh, fairly well, Mr. Andrews. My pulse has been astir...
3: <clears throat>
5: now, uh, just what seems to be the trouble? Nothing. Nothing wrong with me.
3: He has nightmares.
5: Hmm. You look a little underweight. Perhaps your diet. Oh, I'm not underweight.
4: Overweight, maybe.
5: But not underweight.
4: Mm-hmm.
5: Uh, getting enough exercise?
4: Same as usual.
5: He's,
3: he's worried about something. He always has this same dream.
4: Aha! Uh-huh. A dream, eh? What kind of a dream? Just a plain old dream. Aha, uh-huh. aha. Uh-huh.
3: No, it isn't. It's about his brother, Walter, who was killed in a cemetery by a drunken man. Only it isn't really about him.
5: Really? Why, very few people are actually killed in cemeteries. It's an interesting coincidence, if I may say so. You mean, you know somebody who was killed in a cemetery, too? Is that the coincidence? No, I I meant your brother being killed in a cemetery. You know, uh, dead in a cemetery. A sort of... uh...
4: Do you follow me? No. I think you should go see Dr. Fox. Dr. Fox. Hmm.
5: Interesting. Yes, very interesting. I, uh, I wonder if you'd mind stepping into the next room, Mr. Andrews. I want to give you a thorough examination. Uh, Right in here, sir, and we'll just have a look.
4: Well, I hope you're satisfied. You heard what he said. There's nothing the matter with me at all.
3: I'm glad your heart is so fine. He said so, you know. He said your heart is fine.
4: Sure, it's fine. My heart's fine. Everything's fine.
3: And, and you know, you know what I was thinking? No, what? I was just thinking that now that Alexander Hamilton is dead, why, you won't see any more of Aaron Burr. <laughs> yeah.
4: Yeah, I guess you're right. <laughs>
3: But I was wrong. Aaron Burr did not leave my husband to sweeter or more peaceful dreams. Harry said nothing about it for several mornings. But I could tell he was still being tortured by those ghosts. He brooded over his breakfast. He didn't answer me when I spoke to him. I dropped my butter knife and he jumped. What was that? Only my knife. Oh. Harry. Are you still dreaming about that man?
4: Oh, I wish I hadn't told you about it. Forget it, will you?
3: I can't forget it with you going on this way. Can't
4: you forget I mentioned it?
3: Maybe you should see a psychiatrist.
4: Oh, Bosh.
3: What what does he do now? What does who do? Aaron Burr. I don't see why he keeps coming into your dreams now.
4: He goes around bragging that he did it with his eyes closed. Says he didn't even look. Didn't look when. When he killed Alexander in that duel. Well, what... He claims he can hit the ace of spades at 30 paces blindfolded. Furthermore, since you ask what he does, he... He jostles me at parties now. I
3: think you should stay out of this, Harry. It wasn't any business of yours anyway. And it happened so long ago. I'm not
4: getting into anything. It's getting into me. Can't you see that? I
3: see that we've got to get you away from here. Oh, maybe if you slept someplace else for a few nights, you wouldn't dream about him anymore. I don't know. Let's go to the country tomorrow. We'll stay at the Limelock Lodge. Uh,
4: Bess, why can't we visit the Crowleys? They live in the country.
3: All right, fine.
4: Bob has a pistol, and we could do a little target shooting.
3: What do you want a pistol for?
4: Plenty of open
3: space. I think you'd want to get away from shooting.
4: Yeah, surety. <laughs>
3: vacation seemed a success at first. When we arrived at the Crowley's house in the cab, I thought I'd left my suitcase at the railroad station. Harry laughed his old, normal laugh for the first time in many days as he found the bag and handed it to me. And then he leaned over and kissed me.
4: (sighs) Ah. Good old Connecticut.
3: Oh, Harry, this is wonderful.
4: <laughs> oh, we'll have a grand time there.
3: Yes, dear. Hello, Ben. Hi, Harry. Here they come. Good
4: old Bob. Remind me to tell him that rabbit joke.
3: Mm-hmm. Hello, Madison.
4: I'll take your bags, Mr. Andrews. Thank you, Madison. Good to see you. Uh, thank you, sir. Hello there.
3: First, what a Well, Bob,
4: man. how's the old country squire? Oh, all fine. How have <laughs> you been? Never better. Boy, it's good to be here. Hello, Alice.
3: Well, you too. I'm so glad you've come. It's kind of dull here in the hinterland. (laughs) Oh, I'm glad, too. (laughs) Hey, wait till
6: you get one of our extra special cold martinis into you. Mm -hmm. You'll feel chip-shape. Still know how to mix them, huh? Better never. Got lots of practice, these long country winters.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it was grand, seeing Harry's face relaxed and smiling over his cocktail glass. When I went to bed that night, I felt that at last that nasty old business of the dream was over. And I was happy. But when I woke the next morning, when I woke, I saw my husband lying rigid on his back, staring at the ceiling.
4: One Henry Andrews, an architect.
3: What's the matter, dear? Nothing. Oh, why don't you go back to sleep, Harry? It's only eight o'clock, and this is the country.
4: One Henry Andrews, an architect.
3: What are you talking about? That's what
4: he calls me.
3: Told you who?
4: One Henry Andrews, an architect, keeps saying in his nasty little sneering voice.
3: One Henry Andrews! Harry, please don't yell. You'll wake the whole house. Darling, People want to see.
4: I'm beneath you. I'm just anybody. I'm a man in a gray suit. Be on your good behavior, my good man, he says to me. Or I shall have one of my lackeys give you a taste of the riding crop.
3: Why should he say that to you? You
4: ask me why.
3: He wasn't such a great man, was he? I mean, didn't he try to sell Louisiana to the French or something behind Washington's back?
4: He was a traitor.
3: And why worry what he said? He
4: was a scoundrel, but a very brilliant mind.
3: I was in hopes you you weren't going to dream about him anymore. I thought if we came up here.
4: It's him or me. I can't stand this forever.
3: Neither can I. As I had expected, Harry spent most of the afternoon with Bob, shooting at targets. At first, they just aimed at the paper squares. It all seemed to be good nature and in fun. After a while, Harry stood with his back to the dead tree trunk on which the targets were nailed. Then he walked 30 paces ahead in a stiff-legged manner, and his face was set in stern lines. His revolver was at arm's length above his head when he turned suddenly and fired. Bob dropped to the ground, scared.
7: Hey, what's the big idea, Harry?
3: But Harry didn't answer. He started to walk back to that dead tree trunk again. Then with his back to the target, he began marking off the 30 paces. Bob called to him.
6: I think they kept their arms hanging straight down. I don't think they stuck them up in the air.
3: But my husband continued to count off. At the 30th step, he lowered his arm, wheeled about suddenly, and fired from his hip.
4: Hey there, watch out!
3: Two of the shots missed the tree, but the last one hit it. Like a mechanical man or someone in a trance, Harry began to walk back to the tree again without a word, his lips tight, his eyes bright, his breathing coming fast.
6: And look, it's my turn!
3: But Harry about-faced and stalked on. This time when he fired, his eyes were closed. (laughs) Poor Bob didn't know what to make of this strange behavior.
6: Hey, good heavens, man, give me that gun, will you?
3: Without a protest, Harry let him have it. For the first time, he spoke.
6: I I need a lot
4: more practice, I guess. Well, not with me standing around. Come on, let's get back to the house and shake up a drink. Gee, I've got the jumps. I need a lot more practice.
3: I guess I must have slept soundly that night. Because I didn't hear him leave the room. He must have crawled out of bed, dressed silently, and crept out of the room. The sun was just coming up, and the light was hard, and the air was cold. Then I heard the shot. Harry! I threw on the dressing gown and ran downstairs. The trowelers were in the hall. Oh, good heavens, there. Is Harry all right?
5: You sound like
3: him. Where is he? What's he doing? It sounds as though he's out behind the studio shooting. <sighs> Alice. Oh, no, no. Take it easy, Bess. Bob will go out and get him. Maybe maybe he had a nightmare or walked in his sleep. No, no. He never walks in his sleep. He's awake, all right. Well, let's go down and get some coffee. He'll need some. Yes,
6: I'll need some, too. Hey, what the dickens is the matter with him, anyway? I don't know. I'm so sorry. Bob,
3: you go get him.
6: At your service, madam. Alive or dead.
3: Bob, stop it.
6: Okay. I'll do my best.
3: Come on, Bess. We'll go to the kitchen. That noise? Where? In the kitchen. <coughs> oh, oh, it's you, Madison. Uh, yes, ma'am. Well, oh, you're shaking. Uh, I
5: was just wondering, ma'am. No, I... no,
3: no, it's all right, Madison. You go on back to bed.
5: Uh, Cuthbert was scared, ma'am, and I uh, thought. Well, you
3: tell Cuthbert that it's all right. Mister Andrews is uh, shooting a little. He couldn't sleep.
5: Uh, yes, ma'am. Yes.
3: I I don't know what to do, Alice. (laughs) I guess the Crowleys were relieved when the cab came to drive us to the station early that day. Their maid had threatened to leave. The neighbors were complaining about the early morning disturbance. And their own nerves were ragged.
6: Oh, I'll need a drink after that.
3: And make mine a stiff one. Gee, I'm sure glad he's gone. Well, was either he or Clefita. You can't afford to lose a good cook these days. Hey, what do you think's the matter with him? I don't know. It's what Clothita would call the shoots, I guess.
6: You know, he said a funny thing when I went out and got him this morning.
3: Well, let's have it. I could stand a funny thing.
6: I asked him what the deuce he was doing out there in that freezing air with only his pants and shirt and shoes on. And you know what he said? What? Huh? I'll get him one of these nights. That's just what he said.
3: By this time, I was really frightened. When we returned to the city, Harry was a picture of gloom. Our first night back, I looked at him as he lay on the chaise long in my bedroom in his blue dressing gown, smoking a cigarette. He was haggard and tired. And he kept biting his lower lip. I mixed a scotch and water nightcap for him.
4: No thanks, no liquor. I need a steady hand. Watch my hand. Does it tremble? No. Is it steady?
3: Yes, very.
4: That's good. That's very good. You need a steady hand, you know. For what, dear? Oh,
3: things. Harry, will you sleep in my room tonight?
4: No, you keep shaking me all night to keep me awake. You're afraid to let me meet him.
3: Are you still on that?
4: Why do you think everybody's better than I? I can outshoot him the best day he ever lived.
3: Oh, of course. In the waistcoat?
4: Right next to the middle button. He has three big pearl buttons on his waistcoat. Came from France.
3: Why don't you dream about somebody else? Anybody else? Please.
4: You'd like that, wouldn't you? You'd like to have me dream about somebody who wouldn't hurt a fly. Somebody like that. Because you'd know I'd never get in a duel with him.
3: A duel? You're dreaming of a duel now?
4: Ever since Hamilton died. Burr knows I hate him. It's nearly over now. Harry. It's him or me. I'll get him, the rotter. But Harry... I know I'll get him. See, I have a modern pistol. He has to use an old-fashioned single-shot muzzle loader.
3: Is that quite fair?
4: Fair? What do I care if it's fair or not? Was it fair the way he shot Alexander? Was it?
3: Don't
4: be mad with me, Harry. Oh, I'm... I'm sorry,
3: darling. I'm very unhappy.
4: I'm sorry, darling.
3: And I'm worried sick.
4: Well, I'm sorry, darling. Don't cry. Please don't cry. It upsets me when you cry. I mustn't be upset. I must be very calm and rested. My hand must be steady tonight. Especially tonight.
7: Oh, I'm so worried,
4: Harry. Don't worry about me. I'll be all right. I'll be fine. My hand is like a rock.
3: Later, when I kissed him goodnight, I knew it was really goodbye. He didn't say anything, and neither did I. It's just that he seemed so far away, in in another world. And each moment I felt that he was becoming more and more remote. Something told me he wasn't coming back. After an hour of tossing and turning, I went to Harry's room. He was sleeping peacefully. I sat down in his chair and watched over him for a long while. Then, finally, I must have fallen asleep.
4: A beautiful morning.
3: It was about five in the morning when I awoke. Harry was talking in his sleep.
4: Ah, yes, the doctor. Good of you to come, doctor. Yes. Yes, often misty at this hour. Harry. Are they loaded? Splendid. Harry, wake up. Yes, I'm perfectly ready. Is Mr. Burr? here? Yes, good. Shall we proceed? No, I do not care to make a statement. Very well. Yes, I understand perfectly. Ten paces. Turn and fire at the dropping of the handkerchief. Yes, ten paces.
7: Harry,
4: Thank Harry. you for acting as my second, Mr. J. Of course, extremely good of you. Very well, then I'm quite ready. One, Harry. two, three, Harry,
7: four, Harry, five, Don't, Harry.
4: six, Harry. seven, eight, nine, ten.
7: <gasps> Harry. Harry, dear.
3: puzzled when you examined Harry the next morning.
5: Oh, extraordinary. His heart was as sound as a dollar when I saw him the other day.
3: He seemed to be fine, Dr. Fox.
5: I can't understand it. What? Why his heart stopped as if he'd been shot. Shot? Yes. Of course, there are no gunshot wounds and no... Shot. Now, Mrs. Andrews... That's
3: it. Shot.
5: Now, now, you'll have to calm yourself. You can't help him now.
3: I should have known it would happen kept staring at Harry's right hand. The three fingers next to the index finger were closed stiffly on the palm, as if gripping the handle of a pistol. The taut thumb was doing its part to hold that invisible handle tightly and unwaveringly. But it was the index finger which held my eye the longest. I looked carefully to make sure I was right. Yes. Yes, it was so. That index finger was curved inward slightly, as if it were about to press the trigger of a pistol. So there had been a duel after all. Perhaps there was no gunshot wound. But Harry had been shot as surely as he was dead. (laughs) Dr. Fox saw me staring and spoke to me.
5: What are you looking at, Mrs. Andrews?
3: Harry never even fired a shot. Aaron Burr killed him the way he killed Hamilton.
5: What are you talking about?
3: Aaron Burr shot him through the heart. I knew he would...
5: Yes, but there's no evidence.
3: I knew he would. Then Dr. Fox put an arm around me. He looked at me gently and, and a bit frightened. The way I used to look at Harry when he told me about his dreams. He led me to his assistant and whispered something. He thought I didn't hear him, but I did.
4: She's crazy.
5: Stark, raving crazy.
3: I let the assistant take me away. Maybe he thought I was crazy too, but now I knew. Aaron Burr got Harry, just as he had killed Hamilton in that old quarrel long ago. Ah!
2: Alexander, Starring Robert Young and Geraldine Fitzgerald. The James Thurber story, which was tonight's tale of... Suspense. The producer of these broadcasts is William Spear, who with Robert Louis Shea, guest director, Freya Howard, author, and Bernard Herman and Lucian Marowick, conductor and composer, collaborated in presenting A Friend to
1: Alexander. Stay tuned for Ozzie and Harriet next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for Ozzie and Harriet Nelson. When Red Skelton was drafted in March of 1944, Ozzie Nelson, who had provided much of the music on Red Show, was prompted to create his own family situation comedy. The Adventures of Ozzie and Harriet launched October 8th of 1944 on CBS. Now, four years later, it moved to NBC, and in its final years, it was heard on ABC. The Nelson sons, David and Ricky, didn't join the cast until the radio show's fifth year. Uh, since the this year, the episode was aired in 1951. You're going to hear them, as all of the Nelson family will be heard in this episode, entitled The Nelson Bank. Other cast members included John Brown as Sid Thorny Thornbury and Lorene Tuttle as Harriet's mother. Vocalists included... Harriet Nelson, The King Sisters, and Ozzie Nelson. Announcers were Jack Bailey and Vern Smith. Music was by Billy May and Ozzie Nelson. And in 1952, the Nelsons starred with Rock Hudson in the Universal International feature film Here Come the Nelsons. Now, that film depicted Ozzie as an advertising executive assigned to a campaign promoting women's underwear. The film, produced in the summer of 1951 while the radio show was on hiatus, opened theatrically on February 23rd, 1952, it also doubled as a pilot for the TV series, as Ozzy wanted to see if his family would be accepted on film as they were on radio. And the success of Here Come the Nelsons convinced him that Ozzy and Harriet's future was on the small screen, while still continuing their weekly radio show. And now, Nelson Bank.
8: Oh, for goodness sake. What's the matter?
9: All these short stories without any endings drive me crazy. Here's one where a mysterious voice keeps calling this fellow on the telephone. You never do find out who it is.
8: Oh, are you sure you finished the story?
9: Oh, sure. I even turned the page like a big dope.
8: Well, oh, here, read this. You'll like it. It's a complete story in one sentence. And every word is true.
9: Let's see it. Oh, of course. America's finest silver plate is 1847 Rogers Brothers. <laughs>
6: America's finest silver plate is 1847 Rogers Brothers. From Hollywood, International Silver Company, creators of 1847 Rogers Brothers Silver Plate, presents The Adventures of Ozzy and Harriet, starring America's favorite young couple, Ozzy Nelson and Harriet Hilliard. I wonder if Ozzie and Harriet have been playing hide the button. There they are in the living room. Harriet opens the desktop. Closes it. Ozzie scratches his head. Harriet opens the big bottom drawer. Closes it. Ozzie scratches his head. Whatever she's looking for, it isn't in there. Uh Uh-oh, she's headed for the dining room. Ozzy's right behind her. Now she's searching the china closet.
8: Not there, huh?
9: Doesn't seem to be.
8: How about behind the serving tray?
9: No, I don't think so.
8: It's got to be someplace. Have you looked inside the buffet?
9: No, not yet. Might just be in here. Any luck? No, darn it.
8: I wish we could find it.
9: So do I. I'll probably remember where I put it. Thanks very much for helping me look.
8: No, it's no trouble at all.
9: You know what I'm looking for?
8: I haven't the slightest idea. (laughs) (laughs) Think
9: it might help if you did know? Well, it might,
8: but don't tell me. I like surprises.
9: (laughs) Wait a minute. I think it's starting to come back to me.
8: Oh, you may as well tell me. What did you lose? Don't interrupt me. The kitchen. Oh, Harriet, you haven't gone and lost the kitchen again.
9: (laughs) I remember now. I was in the kitchen. Come on.
8: I'm right behind you. Signal if you're going to stop suddenly. You still haven't told me what you've lost.
9: Five dollars.
8: And I haven't lost it. See? It's right where I left it. Now, wait a minute. You mean this is a regular thing with you, hiding money in the teapot?
9: What's wrong with that? Besides, I don't always put it in the teapot. Sometimes I use the sugar bowl. Or if they're nice new bills, I sometimes hide them in the encyclopedia or the dictionary. What are you laughing at?
8: Oh, the female conception of money matters is just such an amazing thing.
9: What's wrong with it?
8: Hey, it's okay with me just as long as women don't go into the banking business. Who says they aren't? Well, it's common knowledge. All the big bankers are men. Oh, who handles your paycheck every week? (laughs) What's that got to do with it? Well,
9: look what your big bankers are married to. Women.
8: Naturally, they're married to women. What other choice has a man got?
7: (laughs) Oh, now, don't
9: give me that masculine superiority stuff now. It's just like my grandmother used to say. If there were no women in the world, you'd have nobody to sew the buttons on your pants.
0: Sure.
8: My grandfather used to say, if there were no women in the world, we wouldn't have to wear any pants.
7: (laughs)
9: way to stop the discussion and solve my problem. Since men are so good at handling money, why don't you take care of my five dollars for me?
8: Well, if you think I'll relieve your mind, Denny, I'll be glad to. Okay, here you are, dear. That's a big burden off
9: my mind. Tonight I can go to sleep knowing my money is in the capable hands of First National Nelson, the rock of Rogers Road. Hi, Mom. Hi,
7: Pop. Hello, oh, boys. hello fellas.
9: Who we got? Two dollars. Mr. Randolph gave it to us just for cleaning out his garage. Let's see it. Hey, good for you. A dollar apiece.
8: What are you going to do with it? Nothing foolish now, I hope.
9: Oh, no. I'm going to buy ice cream with mine.
8: Ice cream? A whole dollar's worth?
9: Oh, sure. I like ice cream.
8: Well, I like ice cream, too, but you can't eat a whole dollar's worth. That's kind of silly.
9: Well, that's his idea, Pop. I'd like to put our money together and get a three-dollar baseball.
8: Well, a baseball's certainly a better choice than ice cream.
9: Especially if you're going to hit it with a bat.
8: (laughs) I mean it. Dave is on the right track. He figures on using his money sensibly, getting the most out of it. Take your $2 and buy a $3 baseball. (laughs) Just how do you do that, David?
9: I was figuring maybe you'd give us the other dollar. Thanks, Bob. I'll get Mom's first. Now,
8: now, wait a minute, boys. It seems to me this whole family needs a little lesson on the value of money. You want a $3 baseball, but all you have is $2. Did it ever occur to you you might save up for it?
9: Why don't we borrow it from you and pay it back?
8: I think you get much more satisfaction out of saving it first. Now, your mother was faced with a similar situation a little while ago. She found an excellent solution. Harriet, tell the boys about that idea you came up with. I'm
9: letting your father take care of my money. Pop! Pop!
8: The way you guys say that, you think I make weekly trips to Mexico with a briefcase.
9: (laughs) Gosh, if we want to save it, can't we just put it in our cigar box?
8: Cigar box? How safe is that?
9: Nobody ever took any of the beetles we had in it.
8: Money's a different thing. Look at it this way, boys. I'll be your bank. I'll keep your two dollars and from time to time you'll come to me with more money. Maybe only nickels and dimes, but your two dollars will grow. Pretty soon you'll have three dollars and four dollars, five, six, so on. Doesn't that seem pretty good? Yeah. Only one thing though.
9: How does anybody ever get a baseball?
8: Oh, hello, Barney. Say, I want to ask you something purely out of curiosity, uh, just to confirm a statement I made. What is it, Oz? If you were a burglar and you'd just entered a house, what would be the first thing you'd head for? Oh, I don't know. You've been a burglar longer than I have. (laughs) Probably the the teapot or, or the sugar bowl or a cigar box. I just had a little discussion with Harriet about the silly places women hide their money. Well, that may be, Oz. As for myself, I've got the best place in the world to hide money. Oh, where's that? Promise not to tell? Of course I promise. Cross your heart? All right, cross my heart. Where do you hide your money? In my wife's purse. (laughs) You consider that a safe place? Absolutely. You think it's burglar-proof? Well, I've never been able to get anything out of it. (laughs) Maybe Catherine's different. I seem to be the only one with any sense of financial responsibility at our house. See, Harriet and the boys gave me $7 just a little while ago. What for? Well, I'm their bank, so to speak. See, I'm holding on to their money for it. See, that's an idea. Maybe you can help me. Uh, what's on your mind? Well, you see, I've got $10 that's been burning a hole in my pocket. I've been keeping it to buy Catherine a birthday present. Uh, you want me to take care of it for you? Would you mind, Oz? Otherwise, I know Dom well when Catherine's birthday comes, the money will be gone. Uh, when is her birthday? Well, it's not very far off. But frankly, I'm not so good at holding on to money.
7: Yeah.
8: Uh, when is her birthday? Tomorrow. <laughs> Oz, I sure do appreciate that. <laughs> oh, I, I'm glad. Say, wait a minute. Where did you get this $10? You didn't hold out on Catherine because I don't want any hot money in my bank. <laughs> Certainly not, Oz. As I said, all the money goes right into Catherine's purse. This little fella just wouldn't get in there. Ozzy, <laughs> you've changed clothes. Uh, yes, I, I just felt like a dark blue pinstripe today. Uh, oh, did I tell you Thorny gave me $10 to keep for him? That makes 17 altogether. Say, so you're becoming quite the
9: banker. <laughs>
8: All right. yeah, right. I'll uh, see who it is. Mm.
9: Hello, Mr. Nelson.
8: Oh, hello, Edgar.
9: I'm collecting for the paper, Mr.
7: Nelson, $1.30.
8: All right, sir. I think we have the necessary assets to finalize this transaction. What's
7: that? That's
8: bank talk, Edgar. <laughs> All right. One I put in. I guess I put in my... Own. Let's see here. Holy smokes, I've lost my money.
9: There's a man down the street and he never pays me.
8: I had changed oh. suits. I remember taking the money out of the pocket of the other trousers. And my coat. It's the strangest thing I ever heard of.
9: A man down the street never pays me. But his wife does.
8: I look through these pockets again.
9: His wife says she gives him the money, but he spends it. Sometimes he make believes He lost it
8: Took the money Out of the other pants
7: Could I speak To Mrs. Nelson, please?
8: Put them on the chair
7: Mrs. Nelson! Now,
8: Edgar There's no need Of dragging Mrs. Nelson Could you come back Tomorrow, please? Will
7: Mrs. Nelson Be home then? Edgar,
8: if you please Come back tomorrow I promise you I'll give you your money I want
7: to talk To Mrs. Nelson
8: Uh, No, Edgar Come back tomorrow Mrs. Nelson is busy Mrs. Nelson! Edgar, get your foot Out of the door Now come back tomorrow (laughs) That's a good boy Goodbye, Edgar downstairs. I went in the dining room. What are you looking for, dear? No, uh, Harriet. <laughs> what are you looking for? Uh, uh, oh, uh, Have you seen my little gold collar pin?
9: Yes, you have it on.
8: Oh, oh, so I do.
9: Now what are you looking for?
8: Oh, uh, Have you seen that pair of black shoelaces I bought the other day?
9: Yes, they're upstairs on your brown shoes. Where are
8: you going? Just out to the kitchen What in the world are you looking for? I'm just looking, that's all Looking is a a wonderful way to find things Uh, You see, even if you're not looking for anything in particular Sooner or later, you'll find something For instance, if I were looking for money Which, of course, is ridiculous But if I were looking for money Yeah, I'd look in here Take off the lid Put in my hand (gasps) Oh, Ozzy a fine thing. You put your hand in the teapot and get money. I get hot tea. <laughs>
6: disappearance of $17 at 1847 Rogers Road. Attention, all law enforcement agencies. This $17 must be recovered. Call all national and international authorities. Come in.
5: Federal Bureau of Investigation reporting. No clues on Nelson cases yet. Brown, Washington office. Bon pas
2: information en regard monsieur Nelson Sankabarge la plume est sur la table ouvrez la fenêtre préfet de gendarmerie la hausseau paris
7: Union team reporting no trace of Nelson
3: money we are still searching this is reed boy counter spy and child actor that is all yeah.
5: Hello, hello, here is Berliner Station House. We have Nelson Geld dies gesehen, but I have an uncle in America. Here is Johann Müller, Auf Wiedersehen.
6: In the living room of 1847 Rogers Road, the search
8: goes on. Not under there. Maybe the Davenport. Hi, Pop! No, oh, oh, boys. Uh Uh, And did you guys want something special?
9: Well, yeah, Pop. Remember the day we gave you our money to keep for us? Well,
8: of course I remember. Uh, And I hope you guys realize the responsibility, I've assumed. Handling your money is quite a load.
9: Well, we... Well, you tell him, Ricky. We'd like to unload you. (laughs) (laughs) We'd like our money back now,
8: please. Uh, Boys, sit down on the couch for a minute.
9: Ah, please, Pop, don't talk us out of it. They're selling those baseballs for $2 now. We don't have to
8: wait. Uh, uh, just a minute, fellows. Now, let's be sensible about this. As an investor, you have every right to ask for your money. I simply want to point out a few things. Now, believe me, I have no intentions of keeping your money if you really want it. Can we have it? No. But, (laughs) Pop! Look at it this way. Why don't you draw on my experience? With shrewd management on my part, it's very possible you can double your money, even triple it. Perhaps we can make a few investments and quadruple it, make a lot of money.
9: Why don't we buy our baseball today? Then maybe some other time we can make
8: a lot of money. Boys, I may as well tell the truth. After all, as my investors, I owe it to you. The reason I don't want you to withdraw your money is uh, because you'll buy that baseball, won't you? That was our idea. Well, after all, I'm your father. Why can't I buy you a baseball? In fact, I've been considering it for some time now.
3: Oh, gee, Pop, that's well.
8: I thought that'd satisfy. You see, I'm not trying to hold your money back.
9: As long as we got our baseball, now we can spend our money for a bat. <laughs> a bat.
8: Uh, I wish you wouldn't, David. Uh, I'm buying you a bat, too. Oh, boy, now we can buy a catcher's mitt. No, 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 uh, let me buy you a catcher's mitt. Dad. What oh. else
9: can we have, boy? This is better than
8: Christmas. No, How that... about ice mindscape? No, no, yeah, me too. Uh, ring the alarm, somebody. They're robbing the bank. <laughs> Could have been kicked under the bookcase again. Gotta be someplace. Come on in, Thorny. Well, hello there, Nick, boy. Nice fella. Nice doggy. Oz, where are you? Nice dog. Thorny, stop patting me on the head. <laughs> why, it's Ozzy. I didn't recognize you down at all. Boy. I wondered why Nick was all dressed up, though. Huh? Anything special you want, Thorny? I'm pretty busy for those. Okay, this girls. will only take a second, Oz. I'd like to have my money back. Oh. Thorny. Sit down. I want to have a talk with you. I can't, Oz. There's a guy waiting on my porch with a COD pack. Oh, let him wait. But I can't, Oz. It's Catherine's birthday present. Please, Oz, let me have it. Now, as I understand this, Thorny, you're hinting you want your money back. Come on, Oz. The guy's waiting. (laughs) Thorny, look at it this way. Your bank isn't merely to deposit money and then snatch it right back again. Why don't you also take advantage of my friendly counsel and advice on money matters? Now, how long ago did you order this package? About an hour ago. An hour ago? And they're sending it out already? Boy, they sure are anxious to get rid of it. Probably jump, they can't move off the shelves. Now, hey, you see how lucky you are? You came to me for my financial advice. Oz, please. You just better think it over, Thorny. Come back tomorrow. <laughs> if you still want your $10, I'll be very happy to give it. Oz, you. will you please give me my money before the guy goes away? Now, Thorny... Just a second, Thorny. What's the matter? Gosh, Thorny, old man, old pal. I'd like to give it to you. But you know, regulations... What regulations? I want my money! Thorny, Thorny, wait. (laughs) Sorry, Thorny, all banks close at three o'clock. Hey,
7: Ma, what is it, David? We want to let you in on
9: something. Oh, that's nice. What is it? Well, just go to Pop and tell him you want your money back, and boy, you get all sorts of things.
7: <laughs> we ran right out of Liz
9: first. We could have got more. Well, boys, I'm afraid you've been taking advantage of your father's misfortune. Now I'm going to let you in on something. It'll have to be awful good to be better than ours. Well, your father's a very capable man. He's always careful with money, and he probably had a good reason for leaving it in the middle of the living room floor. <laughs> I'm playing a little trick on him. You mean you've got our money? Well, I don't have it, but I know where it is. Don't tell now. I hid it in the telephone book. Are you playing a joke on Pop? That's the idea, Ricky. Tonight at dinner, we'll all laugh about it. Will Pop laugh? (laughs) (laughs) We may not hear it, but deep down inside of him, he'll be roaring.
7: (laughs)
8: Yes? Hello, I got your new phone books for you. Oh, fine, thanks. (laughs) There's a hitch to the deal, though. You gotta give me your old one. Oh, sure. Just a second. I'll be right back. Sure. You just hum a little tune. I will. (laughs) Here you are? Oh, okay, I got him.
5: Hey, you're not a bad doodler. You got some pretty good stuff here on the cover. Well,
8: I, I just draw those little pictures while I'm talking. Any numbers on the cover here? You want a copy before I take these? No, no, I I don't think so. Just... You you didn't leave anything in the books, did you? Oh, no, no. There's just a couple of doodles here and there, but you're welcome to them. You'd be surprised to think some people
5: leave in phone books, you know. My partner Steve found two football tickets last year. Found a phone number on the cover, too. He called her up and took her to the game. (laughs) Well,
8: see you about next August. So long. Goodbye. Keep your doodles up. (laughs) Uh, Harriet! Harriet! Yes, dear? Uh, I have a surprise for you. Look, brand new phone books.
3: New phone books?
8: What about the old one? Old ones. Well, the men took them away. Right now, they're being chopped into little pieces. Then they go into the incinerator. What's the matter? What are you so excited about?
9: Oh, this is terrible. I was trying to play a silly little trick on you, and I did a ridiculous
8: thing. Don't say anything more. Let me tell you. You found the $17 I lost, and you put it in the phone book.
9: Yes, dear, how did you know?
8: Because that's where I found it.
7: Uh. (laughs) Oh, you found it?
8: Well, of course I found it. I suppose you think I'm so dumb that I don't know what goes on around here. Suppose you thought I was going to get worried. (laughs) I knew you picked up the money, and I knew you put it in the phone book. How did you know? Well, I found it in there while I was looking up the number of a loan company.
7: (laughs) (laughs) I guess
9: you win, dear. That's the last time I'll ever try to fool my husband. You're just too smart
8: for me. I wouldn't have found it if you hadn't have filed it so cleverly. Putting it there on the page with the finance companies. Connecting finance and money. That's pretty smart. Oh, no, you're mistaken. I didn't put it in the classified book. I put it in the green book under Doe. John Doe. Well, you couldn't if it was in the yellow book. I've got the money right here. See? Seventeen dollars. A ten, a five, a twenty, and three ones. Seventeen (laughs) dollars. No. No, thirty-eight
9: dollars. Who put that in there?
8: Oh, Harriet, stop it. It's so obvious. You're playing one of your little jokes on me.
9: No, honestly, I'm not. My little joke is out being chopped up into little pieces. (laughs)
8: holy smokes, then we're out $17. No,
9: we're in $21. Oh, yeah,
8: keep your voice down. Harriet, this is miraculous. Money is springing up from nowhere.
9: Well, there's only one possible explanation. At some time or another, one of us put $38 in the phone book and forgot about
8: it. But that seems so unlikely. I've got it. Hello? Hello?
5: Is this Mr. Nelson of 1847 Rogers Road? Yes. I looked up your number. I'm the fellow who picked up your phone books today. Oh,
8: oh, oh I'm glad you called. Did you find it? Easy,
5: Mr. Nelson. Yeah, we found it. I knew you should look through those books.
8: Uh, Harriet, they found our $17. Well, I I certainly appreciate your honesty. Well,
5: I got it right here, Mr. Nelson. A Ten, two, fives, four, ones, and the twenty. Forty-four.
7: <laughs> 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 we'll mail it out to you. Guess you'll be able to sleep
8: now. Sleep? Well, the money is just starting to come in. They found our $17. No, they found
9: our $44. The $17 hasn't shown up yet. Oh, Ozzy, this is ridiculous. There must be some sensible explanation. Sensible?
8: We don't have time to think of one. Get your coat. What for? Where are we going? Out to buy all the phone books we can find. We're going into the banking business. Are you awake?
9: Of course I'm awake. So am I. Have you tried counting sheep?
8: Oh, I've counted hundreds of them. Little green ones. <laughs> then the little yellow classifieds.
7: <laughs>
8: Finally figured out where the money came from. Well, please tell me. Well, it... <laughs> it's really so simple. See, there was $38 in one book. 44 in the other book. That makes $82. There was originally only $17. That's a difference of $65. And here's what happened. David and Ricky got $65 and played a little trick on us. It was all a joke.
7: (laughs) (laughs) Well, of course, that's
8: exactly what happened. Ozzie. Yeah, Harriet. I know the question that leaps into your mind. Where did David and Ricky get $65? Don't ask it. It's 4 o'clock and we've got to get some sleep. You mean to say we're going to say goodnight
9: without explaining all this money?
8: Don't be so naive. Don't you ever listen to the radio? Nothing under $25,000 needs any explanation. (laughs) (laughs) At least this is a, a happy ending. It's not canned goods and things.
9: I hate to say this, dear, but I'm a little disappointed in you.
8: You mean to say you want everything that happens to us completely explained and solved? Yes. Don't be so corny. We're living in a modern age. The age of the unfinished short story. You said so yourself. But I don't like those. They leave you hanging in
9: the air. I like to turn the page and find an ending there. I like everything explained.
8: Okay, I'll explain where the money came. You see, David and Ricky wanted their money back to buy a baseball. So when I found it in the phone book, I gave it to them. But they changed their minds and saw something else in the store they liked better, and they bought that instead. How does that explain the money? I'm afraid our son David has inherited a peculiar artistic talent, especially pictures of Lincoln and Washington. Probably got it from some member of your family you've never even told me about. Anyway, the printing press goes back tomorrow morning.
7: <laughs>
8: <laughs>
7: <a> marvelous idea!
8: <laughs> you see, they bought the printing press. They made counterfeit money. Ali. Yes. I'm sorry I turned the page. (laughs)
6: Next week, to another adventure of Ozzy and Harriet, starring Ozzy Nelson and Harriet
8: Hilliard. And
9: remember, America's finest silver plate is 1847 Rogers
8: Brothers. Yes, Harriet, America's finest silver plate is 1847 Rogers Brothers. Appearing
6: in support of Ozzy and Harriet were John Brown, Tommy Bernard, Henry Blair, Hans Conried, and Alan Reed Jr. The original music was composed and conducted by Billy May. You know, you've got to hand it to the doctors. They've taken on the toughest opposition they could find, heart disease, America's number one cause of death. And they need your help, folks, to carry on their research and other efforts to combat heart disease. So contribute all you can to the American Heart Association, Box 500, New York City.
1: This is Vern Smith speaking. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Nero Wolfe, followed by Our Miss Brooks. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell, Paul Stringer, and Justin Eacock for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. Stay tuned for Ziggy and Stardust next on Zoomer Radio. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night.
0: This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.